Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Ray Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. It's Father's Day. It's also a week of mourning over the loss of Dave Newfold. And I've been reflecting on his passing as I do whenever someone I know dies. I listen carefully to what they are remembered for, and then I think about my funeral. What will I be known for? What will they say? Dads, will you and I be known for being passionate about airplanes, in my case, fishing, golf, or motorcycles, or exotic trips, a cottage that we own, that we were a success, or that we were fun guys? Really? Will that be the highlight at my funeral? I hope not. I don't want someone to put a symbolic toy airplane in my casket. If they're going to put anything there, put a Bible there. Yesterday, Fran and I attended a 50th wedding anniversary in Winnipeg last evening, and I got a glimpse of what might be said at the funeral of that dad one day. Here's what struck me. This husband and father didn't have a religious past. They talked about the fun family times. Excellent. They should have. Then one of his sons commented that they had seen him grow spiritually, and and when the father or husband got up to speak, he shared some funny memories and, and such, and then he surprised me. All those things were appropriate. All very good. All relational. All family. But this is what surprised me. A good chunk of his speech given at the end was about him attending a set-free retreat in Pinawa. He and his wife were concerned that his married son, remember here in this church, they attend this church as well, from Winnipeg, had got involved in a cult and they were going to check it out. And if it was a cult, they were going to drag him out of there. That's what he said last night. Instead, he found Jesus there. He told them about a conversation that he had had with me. I was leading them in those days. And it was so important that he saved it for the end of his speech, and he gave much of his speech's time to the telling of that particular story. Enoch was remembered as a man who walked with God. Abraham was remembered as a man who was a friend of God. Moses was remembered as a man who was faithful in God's house and with whom God spoke face to face. David was remembered as a man after God's own heart. Dads, how are we going to be remembered? Dads, the second most important thing that you can give your children is a great marriage. I've said that many times. Not things but a fantastic, godly marriage. The most important, but the most important thing that you can ever give your children is a fantastic relationship with God. An obedient walk with God that affected your choices, your decisions, your purpose, and the trajectory of your life. That is the most important thing. Money, minor. In fact, it often destroys families. The most important thing that you'll ever give your your children, dads, 
is that you walked with God. The hemorrhaging report cited that the number two reason that teens left church was that God didn't make much of a difference in their parents' life. They went to church, but it didn't seem to really make any difference. They weren't a whole lot different than their neighbors. If you focus on your marriage and on your relationship, especially with God, you will be able to, you, you will be able to, or you'll be well on your way to becoming a successful dad. If that's where your focus begins, if that's your highest number one priority, you are well on your way to becoming a successful dad. Because God will infuse everything. He will direct your steps. And that will impact those that watch. It's not so much what is taught, but what is caught. It's what they're, not so much what you're saying as what they're seeing that counts. So let's talk about walking with God. And I'm going to narrow it down because I have something very practical that I believe God wanted me to share this morning. Walking with God, there is no such a thing as walking with God and not hearing His voice. This, it's absolutely impossible. You cannot say to me on the one hand that you cannot hear God's voice and say to me on the other hand that you walk with God. That's a, that'd be a very silent walk, amen? So when we walk with God, we hear His voice, and He begins to, we speak to Him, He speaks to us, He guides our decisions, our choices, our trajectory, He tells us certain things He wants and those kinds of things, but then we must confirm that what we're hearing is actually His voice, amen? So that's what we're going to talk about. Confirming or testing when we hear is not a sign of a lack of faith. When God called Gideon to deliver the Israelites from the invading Midianite forces, he asked for and received three signs. In Judges chapter 6, it says, If now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. That's what Gideon said to God. And two of the three signs he asked for concerned a fleece of wool. In the first request, he asked that there would be dew on the wool only and dry on the ground around it. And in the second request, Gideon requested, allow me one more, what's the word? Help me. Is it on the screen? Yes, it's on the screen. <laughs> he asked for one more what? Yeah. Test, confirmation with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. Gideon's often been criticized for fleecing God. <laughs> but he had a good reason for putting out a fleece. Because God was asking him, as he walked with God, God was asking him some imp impossible things to do. In fact, some things that looked absolutely ridiculous. The text goes on to reveal that God himself offered Gideon a final sign or test without Gideon even asking. God told Gideon to go down to the Midianite camp. He said, if you're still afraid, go down to the Midianite camp tonight. And, uh, and so he did with his servant Pura to eavesdrop on what the Midianites were saying. And he realized there he overheard what was being said. The Midianites were afraid. In fact, they had got a vision that a big rock or a loaf of bread had come down, rolled through their camp and destroyed them. And they said, this must be Gideon. 
<laughs> the minute he heard that, he eavesdropping near the tent. The minute he heard that, he knew that God had given them a victory. Amen? That was a sign. That was a confirmation of what God was asking him to do because what God was asking was big. Uh, God had been sovereignly setting the circumstances in play that would guarantee Israel's victory. So Gideon attacked 135,000 Midianite soldiers with 300 men. Do you know what the odds of that? I calculated it. One to 450. Th those aren't good odds, would you agree? He had good reason for asking a question. Are you sure that he was testing the voice? Am I hearing God or am I hearing another voice? And God gave him the victory. We're human. Sometimes just, uh, and sometimes just get things wrong. Isn't it true? Is it true, church? You got to talk to me today. Yes. It's Father's Day. Dads, I want you talking with me. Amen. We're going to have a discussion today. We're human and sometimes just get things wrong. Isn't that true, dads? Yes. Yeah. It's not just our wives that get it wrong. Amen, dads? <laughs> God could have simply written something in the sky so that, that we'd get it. But he chose to predominantly speak to us in a whisper. In a whisper. The whisper is better suited to a relationship with free, intelligent beings. If God wrote his messages to us in the sky, it would be more like being coerced to believe. Oh, shoot, I have to believe. Must, there must be a God there's not going to be any reluctant, coerced people in heaven. Everybody who gets there is somebody who wants to be there. Not somebody who kind of just skids in and didn't really want to be there, but it was better than going to hell. True? So God has chosen a way that somewhat hides him. The whisper is suited for that. So God hides himself just enough that the careless will not find him on the one hand and so that those with hearts seeking him can find him. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. So to keep us, that, and that, that gives us a good heaven to go to, amen? I mean, we're going to be with people who like to be there. Isn't that neat? Not people who say, oh shoot, it's heaven today. You know, like, it's Sunday today. Oh, shoot, it's heaven today. Oh, well. So to keep us from error, God instituted the idea of receiving confirmation. And in seeking confirmation, we draw nigh to him to listen. And the fact that God told us to test and seek for confirmation tells us that God expects that we can safely discover his thoughts or words to us. Isn't that brilliant? Dads? So testing what we're hearing is not a sign of faithlessness, but of wisdom. Oh, that all Christian dads would walk with God and hear his voice. So testing what we're hearing is not a sign of faithlessness, but of wisdom. Here's a rule of thumb. The greater the risk of the decision that you are making based on what you're hearing, the greater the need for confirmation, as we saw in the life of Gideon. 
Following our six tests that you can use to confirm whether a word is from God, we list them in the Hearing God seminar, but we don't really expand on them there. We just say a few words because there's not enough time to get through all of it. So we're going to go through it, and I would suggest that every dad, every mother too, and every man and every woman, every teen, write these six down. I'll have them at the end, but there's six key tests. The first one is consider if it violates any scriptural principles. Scripture says, claims to be the authoritative word of God. In verse 16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. And scripture tells us that God is always the same and he never changes. He says in Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. And as such, he cannot contradict himself. He must be true to himself. I want you to follow where this is going. So if, if we are faithless, uh, Paul said to Timothy, he remains what, men? For he cannot deny himself. That means that God's very essence, his character, his attributes are constant and consistent. He is always truthful. He's always loving. He's always merciful, all at the same time. He can never, ever contradict himself. So even when someone claims to have received a word from the Lord, a thought, a picture, it cannot ever contradict the declarations and principles of God's written word. If it does contradict the scriptures, then what the person has received did not come from God. It came from somewhere, but it didn't come from him. True? For example, if a man says that he heard God tell him to leave his children, divorce his wife to marry another woman so they could go to the mission field, did he hear from God or didn't he? Yes, no. no, he didn't hear from God, and this actually happened. It's a true story. He didn't hear from God. He may have heard a voice, but it wasn't God's voice. For God says in Malachi that he hates divorce. Jesus expanded on that theme in the New Testament. Here's another example. Any voice that promises total exemption from suffering and failure is most certainly not God's word. God doesn't come to lead us out of all of our troubles and give us a carefree life. That didn't work for Jesus. He's the founder of our faith. Didn't work for him. And the Bible says it doesn't work for us either. In Acts 14, it says, we must, and there's many passages like this, but just as an illustration, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I remember uh, back in 1995, uh, God told Fran and I that we were to let our names stand to become pastor uh, at Southland. And uh, uh, at fr we, we didn't really want to. We, we thought we were going to move somewhere else, but... God really convinced us, and so we finally let our name stand. Now, here was the problem. We had a truck um, that, uh, that we were running at the time. That's how I was taking care of the family and uh, to put bread on the table. And so we knew finally that once we were voted on, it took two votes to get us in. That's how popular I was. <laughs> but once I got, once we did get in on December the 17th, 1995, we looked at each other and we said, this is no problem. God will just sell the truck because he wants us to do this. We let our name stand. No problem. He will sell the truck. He did, but not for another year. And it completely decimated our finances. I mean, it completely obliterated them. It was awful. It was, a, it was very, very difficult. 
Now, wait a minute. Here was the temptation to think that we had missed the call. Maybe, maybe I should quit. Maybe I should go back. But that was precisely the test. Would I quit in the face of hardships? He was taking us through a series of tests to see if, we, if he could trust us. I had wanted to escape one hardship we faced in Woodstock. So the test was, would I stay? Would Ray Dirksen stay even if confronted with overwhelming hardships? We had heard God correctly. We were supposed to become pastors of Southland even if hardship came. Amen? Amen. Even. The implication of this first type is self-evident. It means that those who wish to correctly hear the still, small voice of God must spend much time in God's Word. Dads, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're going to walk with God, I mean, if your heart desires and you're going to walk with God and you're going to hear His voice and you're going to obey, He's sometimes going to lead you in tough places. Are you going to know His Word well enough so that you can stand? Are you known in your home to be reading your Bible in the morning? Do they know where you walk for prayer? Do they know where you sit to read your Bible? That is the number one thing you need to get straight in your life, that we need to have straight. Would you agree, men? Yes. yes. Amen. So that's, uh, that's important. Test number two, reflect on the tone of the word or message. Does it bear the distinguishable tone of God's voice or that of the enemy? For example, though God will point out sin to us, he does so with conviction and love and hope, drawing us as sinners to him in repentance. Satan too loves to point out sin. Did you know that? Isn't that true? He, uh, Chris has been talking about it. He's the what? Uh, he's the accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren. But when he does so, he does it with condemnation, hoping to discourage us to the point where we simply give up or don't feel we are worthy to continue. And many people sit chained because they're listening to him and not to God. God wants you to repent, yes. But he draws you with cords of love you can't hardly resist. That's why Paul said, there's, now, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Consider also if the voice brings agitation in place of peace. If it does, it's another sign the voice is coming from the enemy. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives you do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be what? Afraid. Even when God's voice asks you to do something difficult, it brings with it a quiet confidence if it brings confusion or anxiety is from the evil one. I remember when we were going to move to Woodstock from Kitchener-Waterloo, and you know that whole story. I won't go through the story. But <clears throat> we, God had told us to give up our place and move to Woodstock. But we didn't, we didn't have a place in Woodstock for another two months. And now we had one week to go. And each day, as Fran and I were in the Word, we would compare, and the stuff that he was giving us, Rhema words, the way he was speaking to us through the word, was giving us peace and calm as we counted down the days, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And we had complete peace because he was speaking to us, not because we're great people of faith, but because God is faithful, and he gives peace. Amen? 
Uh, let me ask you this. Does it stroke your ego? Then it comes from the devil. Such things must be immediately rejected as the lies of the enemy. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus warned the disciples that they would all fall away. Peter confidently, confidence in himself. It's okay to be confident as long as the confidence is in God and not in yourself. True? True. Declared that though all the others would fall away, he wouldn't. Jesus pushed it a little further and he said, today before the rooster crows, uh, you're going to deny me three times. That was, that was Peter. Uh, ego was being thrown. He, he, you know, these guys are going to fall, Lord, but not me. I stand. <laughs> so what's the tone of the message you're hearing? Test number three, ask yourself the word that you're receiving from God as you're listening is recurring. A recurring good thought is often an indication of God speaking. Pharaoh received two dreams that had the same meaning. See what Joseph says about that. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Listen, uh, men, dads, moms, men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, teens, I'm talking about the most important thing, one of the most important things that I could talk about here. You walk with God. It'll affect your family. It'll affect those around you. And I'm giving you practical advice based on God's word on how you do it. Peter needed the recurring vision. Remember three times Peter was given the same vision of a sheep being let down with unclean animals on it. Peter needed the recurring vision because everything he was about to do went against his entire religious understanding and practice. He didn't think the Gentiles could be included in God's salvation plan. And the fact that the vision came not once, not twice, but three times was sufficient to be overcome self-doubt. There was no room for uncertainty. And he would need this in the face of hard questions from church leaders. Listen to me. If you're going to walk with God, it's not just going to be, there will be times of how much I love you and care about you and all of that. But God's relationship takes you much further than that. He's going to ask you to walk where he's walking. And you know where he's walking? In a world that's, that's fallen. He's trying to redeem people and draw people to himself. That's where he's going. If you walk with him, that's where you're going. And he's going to ask you to do things. And you're going to have to hear his voice. And your children will need to see that. He would face, uh, he would need this, Peter that is, in the face of hard questions from church leaders. God even repeated this, his covenant with Abraham on three different occasions. Recurring words and thoughts and pictures are a clear sign that God is speaking. Uh, years ago, uh, while still here, or while we were here at Southland already, I, as I would go to prayer, I kept getting this recurring thought, and it happened for days and then weeks. I couldn't shake it. Every time I was praying, there was this thought that this church was going to continue to grow. In fact, that it was going to grow a lot, and we were maybe half this size. And, uh, and I, I, began, uh, you know, I, I began to realize, I finally started noting it, I journaled it, 
I finally went to the board and I said, I, I think God's warning us in a good way that this church is going to continue to grow. He, he has something for this church to do, but we're, we're going to be out of space. We're going to need some land. And I remember going to the board and talking to them about that. And, and, uh, and, and then they, they listened in prayer. They, and, and they confirmed what I was hearing. They were hearing the same thing. And so then our board chair went and talked to the city manager, and, and uh, we asked if we could move the west, proposed west entrance to the soccer pitch to the east side. And uh, at first, uh, the city manager said, no way. And then some months later, he came back, and he proposed that very same thing and said, uh, why, don't we, why don't we partner on straightening out the Keating drain and and we'll move to the, uh, to the east side. But he said, but you're not going to get the land. But we needed the land. We kept praying because God was saying. It was a recurring thought. We couldn't let the thing go. So finally, uh, the, they did move it. And we prayed for land. And of course, you know what happened there. And I'm not going to go into that story. But then came, the real big, came another big question. What are we going to do about building? Because the original auditorium that we built here was actually designed by the build, uh, by the uh, by our de uh, developers in uh, three three way to be doubled. That's what we had agreed on. You know, we could double the auditorium, but it would have been um, maybe seated maybe uh, thirteen hundred uh, comfortably. And but I kept getting this recurring thought and went back to the board, and the board was listening. And we came to the conclusion, God is speaking to us, and we had a choice to make. Do we double the auditorium, and then later we're going to have to demolish the whole thing anyway and build one like this? Or do we just take this step of faith now and move and build a big auditorium? Which costs a lot of money, as you know. And so we prayed about it, we listened, and because of that recurring thought, and we all came to unanimous decision at the board meeting at a retreat, that God was indeed speaking and saying, we need to skip that step and go to step to what you see today. It was a huge project, huge undertaking, and it's a, it's a good thing that we did. Because we wouldn't have been able to launch church renewal if we had stayed with the smaller option as the perk would have been much too small. There wouldn't have been any auxiliary space to conduct the retreats. God knew exactly what he was doing. There would be no, think about this, no church renewal today. Is that unbelievable? And it was all based on a recurring thought. I mean, not for days, not, and for weeks, and then it went into months. And it wouldn't escape. And God kept pushing us with this recurring thought. And we listened and we responded. And then stepped out by faith as a church. Amen? Amen. Very, very important, uh, this whole thing. Here's a fourth test. Receive confirmation through others. Another, uh, it's a wonderful test of confirmation. The riskier the decision, the more important the confirmation from others. Paul and his team were traveling through the region of Phrygia. And Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, according to Acts 16. And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. Isn't that interesting? They were listening, and the Spirit didn't let them go there, even though it was a good thing. 
So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas, and during the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now pay careful attention to what verse 10 says. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who is writing this? Help me. Who wrote this? Who wrote the book of Acts? Exactly right. Luke was writing this. Who got the vision? Paul did. What did Paul do with it? He shared it with, his, with the team. The team then listened and came to the conclusion that God was in this thing. Do you see that? They didn't just say, oh, Paul, you know, Paul says that, then we just do it. No, then they listened, concluding that God had called us. Not just Paul, but called us. Paul's vision was confirmed by the rest of the team, and they concluded that. I remember in a, in a call to ministry in March 18, 1980, in, uh, in the Chicago area, uh, I, I was a pilot at the time, and we decided to attend a large church conference together with our pastor and his wife, as well as the board chair and his wife. And minutes before God spoke to me on, in that Tuesday evening meeting or service, he told Fran that he was calling me into vocational ministry. I didn't know that. That was happening there. And uh, because the pastor said at the end of a man, pre uh, man was preaching a sermon, and uh, his name was Dr. Dan Parr, and he was preaching uh, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And at the end of the service, uh, at, no, at the end of the message, the pastor got up and he said, uh, I sense that God is calling someone here to, uh, to vocational service. I thought, I've never seen something like this. This should be a cool show. <laughs> this is going to be cool. And there were six, about 6,000 people there. And uh, so one person stood up, and everybody cheered, and I thought, well, he got his one fish, and now we can move on. And then he said, I think God's calling a second person. And another person finally stood, and everybody cheered, and then they went to a third, and after that, I was in another zone. And I thought my heart was going to come out, uh, because the Spirit of God was speaking to me so strongly and so powerfully, and... I couldn't believe it. And at the end of the service, uh, I said to God, please talk to my wife because I'm going to have to deal with her now. And uh, she's going to think that this was just emotional hype. And so I said, God, please speak to her. Uh, You've got to convince her. And I, so I said to her, honey, we've got to talk. And I thought, I'm not going in a room by myself. Uh, we'll talk right there with everybody around. It's <laughs> a little bit of safety in numbers, you know. She, she had paid a pretty high price for me to get where I was in my flying, and, and, uh, and uh, so she said, well, I want to talk to you too. And I thought, yeah, I bet you do. And uh, then she said, let me go first. And she said, before you stood up, she said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm calling Ray, and I want you to let him go. And then she prayed, and I stood up. Then we went to, uh, to where we were being billeted, and the pastor didn't talk to us the whole way, which was a surprise, because pastor had always said, Ray, I think God will one day call you to ministry. And I said, no, that's baloney. I'm, I'm, that's not for me. Uh, let me fly my airplane. I'll be a, uh, you know, I'm going to serve in the church, but uh, no, that's not for me. 
And then um, when we got to the place there, he said, uh, Ray, I need to talk to you in the basement. I thought, oh, yeah, I, I know. No, he, he's going to tell me that it's hype. And so we got in the basement, got in the room. Cl he closed the door, and he began to sob. And then I said, well, I didn't know what to do with him. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, what's the matter, uh, Pastor Jessup? And he said, as soon as the pastor said, I think God's calling somebody, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. And uh, he said, and uh, I, I, I struggled with it, but finally I said, God, if you are calling him, give him the courage to stand now. And then I stood. God was speaking to my wife and my pastor all at the same time and before me. Then we got home, and uh, Fran's best friend phoned, and we had, we, we had said, this is going to be, we're going to, this is going to be a secret, and we're going to tell it at a Sunday night service, because the, the group was kind of excited now, because it was clear that God had called us. But nobody was going to tell anybody in the church. And uh, so we got home, and right after the morning service, just said, hey, you know, this evening service, we've got a spe something special to tell you. Uh, we're going to report on the conference. Then um, Fran's best friend phoned her as soon as we got home for lunch and said, what does it feel like to become a pastor's wife? She said, how did you know, Marion? And Marion said to her, we all knew the moment you left that God was going to call Ray when, when he got to the conference. Then my best friend called. He, he was a pilot. We've spent well over a thousand hours in the same cockpit together. And, uh, he's, uh, and he said the same thing. Confirmation from others. Amen? It's important. It's a very, very important. Now, uh, Christians should test what they're hearing by listening with godly spouses or godly colleagues or friends, a godly church, a small group. And right here, I raise a caution. Note, I define what kind of a spouse or colleague or friend. There's a story in the Old Testament uh, of Ahab and the false prophets. Ahab, the wicked king of uh, Israel's northern kingdom, had been at war with their enemy in Syria for three years and had lost territory. So he asked Jehoshaphat, king of the southern kingdom to help him defeat the Syrians. But Jehoshaphat first wanted, guess what? Confirmation. Is that amazing? Dads, is that amazing? Here's a great leader, and he wants confirmation. He wants to test whether that's from God or not. And uh, so he said, inquire first for the uh, word of the Lord. So Ahab agreed, he was a wicked king, calling 400 prophets to inquire of the Lord. It says, the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400, and said to them, shall I go to battle, or should I refrain? And they all said in unison, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Notice that they were speaking on behalf of the Lord. And they all said, go do it. But Jehoshaphat was uneasy in his spirit. He wasn't so sure that this was the Spirit of God. And by the way, when God confirms something in you, you know it in your heart. You will sense it. You will never have to guess it. He'll work in your spirit. Jehoshaphat knew something was wrong. He said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we can inquire? Ahab replied, well, there is, but I don't like him. He never prophesied good concerning me, just evil. I'm going with the 400. 
Ahab wasn't interested in God's will, but Jehoshaphat insisted. So Ahab reluctantly called for Micaiah. But notice even the courtiers weren't interested in true confirmation. The messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold the words of the prophets, those 400, with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of the Lord, uh, one of them, and speak favorably. In other words, just join the group. It'll be 401. <laughs> and uh, Micaiah only feared God. He wasn't interested in man-made unity, by the way. That'd make a good message. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I, that I will speak. Here's what he prophesied when brought before the two kings. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountain as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Oh, what a prophecy. He says, you're going to get killed. That's what he was, in essence, that's what he was saying uh, to King Ahab. They, uh, the sheep are scattered, <laughs> they're, they're chased, and their shepherd is no more. That means you die. Whoa, how would you like to get a, one of those prophecies? Look what the king, uh, what King Ahab says. He says to Jehoshua, didn't I tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but just evil? And it happened just as God had said through Micaiah. He was killed, Ahab was killed, and, uh, and Jehoshaphat had been right about that. Many in the church today are ignoring many things that the scriptures teach about repentance, the lordship of Christ, fear of the Lord, coming accountability, judgment, and hell, and so on. Be warned not to seek for confirmation from such they are false prophets. They may be nice people, they may look like they're, they may, they probably look like you and me. Can you believe that? But they are false. Don't listen to such. Test number five, ask for a confirmation through a rhema word from, from Scripture. God speaks to people through the Bible in two different ways, universally to everybody and personally to individual people. The Greek has two terms for the term word. Logos is the word of God to everybody. The Bible, Genesis to Revelation, the Ten Commandments, that's for everybody. Would you agree with that? Everybody. And the second thing, and it's a foundation for the second type of word, which is the word what? Rhema. And it's the word of God to you personally, often given for a specific time with specific message. There are over 700 promises in the Bible, but, and, and some are universal in nature for anyone, but not all. We can only claim a promise when it is a rhema, a specific word to us personally, or if it was addressed specifically for God's love of the world, that every, whosoever shall believe. That's for how many? Everybody, but when God said to Sarah, and she's 90 years old, you're going to have a baby, that's not a promise for your wife. <laughs> is, is that true, church? It's true. That's the difference between a logos and, uh, and a rhema, uh, specific or general. When God speaks to you personally, it's for you and you can act on it, not when it's his specific word for someone else or it is recorded in his general word for all to read and understand. And that's why Jesus could make this incredible statement 
If, and let's read, this, uh, let's read this promise together. Here's the condition for a tremendous promise. Let's read it together. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. But notice the condition. The rhema is in you. That's the word, the Greek word behind it. A personalized word to you where God is speaking to you. Then you can you can bet on it that your prayers will be answered. Those kinds of prayers can always be answered. Always. Did I say always? Yeah. God's Spirit has spoken to many of His saints in this manner throughout history. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use something very, very practical. I'm, not, I'm just going to bring it right down to something very, very practical. A house. Whether you buy a house or not. Um... And it's something you want to be cautious about. It's a big decision for the family. And um, we were living on Madison Drive. We now live on West Grove Bay. And um, we, uh, there were, <laughs> we'd started thinking, man, our family's growing and we don't have enough space. But Fran and I had actually already been looking at condos. We were going to downsize and go to a condo and somebody could take care of the whole place. And, Forget about all that. And, um, and uh, once the kids moved out, a friend immediately warned us against doing it, even financially. And then one day, Chris said to me, just out of the blue, he said, you ought to build a bigger house for the family. And I thought, well, that's nice for you to say that. I carry the mortgage. <laughs> and he didn't agree to take that on. But much later, a friend in real estate called to say he was setting aside a house lot in case we ever wanted to build. So there was all the, these things started to come. Then our kids, Kim and Travis, who were on West Grove Bave, kept urging us to build next to them. What are the chances your children are going to ask you to move next to them? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I even phoned Grace Fast to see what she was sensing, and she came back and confirmed some amazing things she was getting. And then one day, Fran and I were praying. And by the way, when, you, when you're trying to make a decision about something you like, take more time. I remember uh, when, when Ted Falk offered uh, to allow me to fly his airplane. And I remember not answering him. And I brought Fran in the office and I said, I wonder if the devil's trying to tempt me. <laughs> and it wasn't Ted I was talking about either. He was being very gracious. I said, I think, I'm, I'm worried that the devil's trying to get me off my game. He, because he knew, how, uh, I mean, if you know me, I like, I like flying. And I was afraid, now this thing would, I, this would start to consume me. And so that started to bother me. And I started talking to Fran about that. Same thing with the house. I said, well, I don't know about this. And, and it troubled us, but the thought was always there. These circumstances were there. We started listening. We were praying. We were in the Word. We got a whole bunch of stuff. I could show you a whole bunch of Scripture. But I'd, I found it hard to believe or accept that this could really be from God. Then one Sunday morning, Fran was in her devotions. She was reading the story of God leading the Israelites with a cloud of fire by night and a cloud by day. And when it stood still, they didn't move till the cloud moved, whether it was a day, a month, or a year. And then she writes, and I'm quoting, she doesn't know this, but I'm quoting out of her journal. <laughs> uh, 
sometimes you don't want to ask permission, just say sorry later. (laughs) And this is right straight out of her devotional. This is what it says. Okay, Lord, I love your sense of humor and the way you direct us. No sooner had I prayed and felt peace about not moving until you moved the cloud in front of us, and this is the verse that I read, and here's the verse, and I'm going to put it up. Rema. In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out. Now, she, she had just said, Lord, until you, the cloud lifts and it's clear that it's you, we're not doing it. That, that's it. You're going to have to make this that obvious. And then the Spirit asked her, what day is it today? She said, well, it's February the 20th. February the 20th, the second month, the 20th day. And the Holy Spirit just grabbed her heart. And uh, she phoned me, and I was stunned. She said, look what, I just, look what I read, and look what the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. That was sort of the final nail in the whole thing. And now we look back. In addition to the 27 or so from our family many of the Sundays, uh, we have also been housing large or hosting large groups of church renewal denominational leaders and spouses, church renewal pastors and spouses, and so on. And we wouldn't have been able to do any of that or our family at the place where, where we were. That's how practical it is. Test number six, and it's the last one. Test, see if circumstances point in the same direction. God told Joshua to lead Israel across the Jordan and take possession of the land. And God also told him not to fear. Evidently, there was cause for human fear. So Joshua sent two spies across the Jordan to spy out Jericho, and they were taken, taken in by a prostitute by the name of Rahab. And uh, she hid them um, when their cover was blown. And after the danger was passed, Rahab brought the two spies out and said, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. That's exactly what they needed to hear. The circumstances. They, they saw the circumstances even lining up. God had spoken to Joshua. Now they go out. They check the circumstances. Even that's lining up. And uh, when I'm discerning God's guidance on a major issue, I'll begin to list the circumstances that point in a particular direction. And in doing that, you will sense the Spirit giving you assurance that he is most certainly with you in what you think he may be guiding you to do. 1997. Uh, I had just, uh, I had been at Southland for less than two years. We were in a building on Chrysler Gate. I was praying. I prayed much in the auditorium, a black auditorium in those days. Hardly anybody came in in those days. And uh, I was pacing back and forth. And I was praying, and a recurring thought just always there. There's one of the circumstances. Recurring thought about the Holy Spirit. Are all the gifts here today? I couldn't shake that thing. And finally, I, in my prayer, I said to God, if I need some confirmation, Lord, I need somebody to talk to that I can talk to, uh, that I can trust. Somebody who has come from my persuasion but has crossed the line. And I prayed that for several days. And one day, as I was praying, the Holy Spirit gave me the name of a pastor, a very popular pastor in Winnipeg at that time of a large church, about a little over 2,000 at the time. And, uh, and uh, he didn't know me, and I knew of him, but that's it. We'd never met. 
So I phoned him up, asked for an appointment, and I sat down in his office, and he said, what's, what's troubling you? And I said, just tell me I'm nuts. Like, I think, I believe that, I'm starting to think that all the gifts of the Spirit are here today, that they didn't cease. Way back in, you know, uh, after, uh, after the scriptures were written. And, um, and he just grinned. He, he smirked. And I said, don't tell me you believe in that. And he said, well, I do since 1991. Remember, this is 1997. I said, well, what happened? He said, I didn't believe in it either. And he came from the same denominational background as I had. And he said, I didn't believe in it either. But he said, when I, uh, uh, a board member from this church where he was in Winnipeg had called him and said, we're looking for a pastor. Nobody knows that I'm doing this. Why don't you fly out and just sit in a service and so on and so forth? The next day, on a Monday, they went to a, a prayer meeting for pastors in Winnipeg. And they had just started to pray about something, and two pastors who he had never met, remember this first time in Winnipeg, came, and one sat on one side of him, and one said the, uh, sat on the other, and they said, Brother, we just sense that you have a very major change coming up in your life, and that we need to pray over you. He was stunned. He had no, they didn't know he was. They had no idea that he was thinking about making this major shift to Winnipeg, to this church. And uh, so he began to search it out. Then he asked me the question. He said, have you ever read uh, Jack Deere's uh, book about uh, Surprised by the Spirit or something like that? And I said, no, never even heard of him. He pulled out the book and he gave it to me and he said, you read that. So I went and I re read it and I began to study the scriptures as what, with what I was re reading. And everything that I had, had objected to, all my questions were answered by the time I got to the end. And I, said, I went to Fran and I said, I'm so scared. I think I'm becoming a charismatic. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. This is, this is really troubling me. And finally, my head was over the line, but I couldn't do it. I said, there's just not a chance. I, I'm not telling anybody. And I said, Lord, I, and day after day, I'd be praying and praying and praying. I could not get this thing out of my mind. And finally, I said to the Lord, you know what, Lord, what I need, Lord? And he said, what do you need, Ray? I said, I need you. I said, my head is saying one thing, but my heart is just saying, no, I'm not one of them. I can't do it. You've got to speak to my heart and tell me that I'm, that I'm not nuts, that this is really you. So I happen to be reading my Bible one day. And uh, as I'm reading it, Acts chapter 10, this is about Peter, you know, and the, the, sheep, the sheep going down with the unclean animals, the vision three times. And as I read, I get to the place where it says, the voice spoke to him, Peter, a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And with that, the Holy Spirit just grabbed my heart, and I crossed the line. He had spoken to my heart. My mind was already there, but that heart, the emotion, the will, that the whole thing was so hard, and I crossed the line. And I went into the kitchen. I said to my wife, I said, I, I mean, I was weeping and weeping. I mean, God's Spirit was just ministering to me powerfully. And I went to my wife, and I said, I crossed the line. I'm a closet charismatic. 
Immediately those words burnt so much, but notice the convergence of circumstances, a recurring thought while I was in prayer. God gave someone from my persuasion who had crossed over to speak to me. He gave me a book to satisfy my theological questions as I studied for the next few months. Then he finished the process with a powerful rhema word to me. Circumstances lined up. I'm going to just put up the confirmation tests just uh, so that you can just have them. But these are the tests that I've learned to use through the last 32 years of my life, and they've served me well. Dads, I'm going to ask you a question. What do you want your legacy to be? That you played hard or that you walked with God? This week, I met with a man who was marketplace leader, and uh, I've met with him several times uh, over the last couple of months, and, he, and the cry of his heart was, he said, I can't hear God. There's something wrong. I, I get it here, I read the Bible, I have Bible knowledge, but I can't get it in, I can't get it in my heart. I just don't hear God. And this last week, on, on Thursday, we met, and the Holy Spirit gave me an idea to do with him, and it was an exercise. It's just the simplest little exercise. He told me about a verse that seemed to have, the Holy Spirit had highlighted for him. So I wrote, it on the, I wrote it on the whiteboard, and uh, I said, so you're looking at that verse. Looking at that verse, what, would, what, what just seems to naturally come to your mind that would follow that verse, con con considering the fact that you, you want to hear God? He said, well, I don't know. I'd, I think I got a question. <laughs> I said, that's very good. I said, what's your question? And he gave me the question, so I wrote it down on the whiteboard. I said, okay, then let's just listen and see what God gives. And I said, don't worry about it if it's your thoughts or God's thoughts or what thoughts. Just write down what you get. A couple of, you know, maybe a minute, two later, he gives me some thoughts. We wrote that down. I said, okay, now you're looking at that. What does that tell you? Or, or where do you want to go with that? What's the next thing that sort of comes up in your mind, logically or or intuitively, he said, well, I, I have another question now from that. <laughs> I said, okay, what's the question? I wrote that down. And then we listened, and then he wrote another question, and then we listened. After 60 minutes, I looked at him, I said, you have no problem hearing God. You just journaled. All I did was write it on the board for you. He's a dad. <laughs> That can impact a spouse. That can impact kids. That can impact a family. It can impact a business. It can impact uh, uh, a whole bunch of people. Isn't it true? It's not too late to change your legacy, dads, but you have to start now. Today is the day. Like Dave, you do not know how much time you have left. Make it count. Let's pray. Father, we commit to you that we will make our time count.
that we will walk with you obediently as dads, that we will leave a legacy that points to a godly walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.